0: Friend, so welcome back to Rooted. We are continuing our study of the letter of the book of Galatians written by Paul to the early church where he primarily was talking about the infiltration of thought that leads to false teaching and how to prioritize faith over this idea that there's something that we need to do or must do or can do to earn God's uh, grace, salvation, favor, blessings, etc. Last week we wrapped up this whole idea about the manufacture versus the miraculous and how we are limiting God when we think that human effort can in any way compare to what faith can accomplish. And so tonight I want to talk about one additional hindrance to faith and that is this idea of legalism. That is this idea of being in bondage to something that Christ came to To set you free from. Now, this conversation can be very uncomfortable for those of us who have been in the Christian faith for a while because we're going to be talking about freedom. Now, we like the word freedom when it's used in a context that we can understand and easily defend. But when it comes to freedom in Christ, Christian culture can be so afraid that we're giving, quote unquote, people the, quote unquote, permission to live life however they want to. That can be triggering for us because we have found our security in a list of do's and don'ts, things that are good and things that are bad. And so that can be, again, something that causes us to reel back from the very thing that Christ came to give us which is freedom. So we're going to be talking about how freedom and faith intertwine and how if we're not careful, we can let rules, regulations, legalism get in the way of Christ's intention for us and the life that we truly want to live. So we're going to be bouncing around a bit in scripture tonight. We're going to be spending a little bit of time in Galatians. I'm going to reference Acts 15. I think we might be touching in Philippians a little bit. So we're going to be in the first few letters of your New Testament apart from the Gospels. And I want you just to be ready. Have a notebook, have your Bible out, have a Bible app open, get a pen, get a highlighter, all the things, because tonight we're going to be talking about freedom and faith. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. So we're going to jump right into it by talking about freedom and faith, right? So we are going to pick up in Galatians. I believe we are taking a portion from Galatians chapter 4, yes, verses 8 through 11. And then I want to read verse 1 from Galatians 5 to you. And so again, that's Galatians 4, verses 8 through 11. And then we're going to pick up the first verse of Galatians 5. So Paul starts off in Galatians 4 and says, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with him meaning God, by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. And then you have Galatians 5, 1, where he says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So while the whole theme here is freedom, Paul is touching on um, slightly two different things in these texts. So I want to talk about both of them. But you can hear in the text, again, Paul's concern, right? I think even the title over that portion of scripture uh, in chapter four is Paul's concern for the Galatians. And so he talks um, to them about the fact that remember when Christ was first presented to you. You were worshiping false gods or gods that don't even exist, right? And so he's saying, now that you know God, why do you want to go back again to these weak and useless spiritual principles? So you might be saying, well, what are these weak and useless spiritual principles? So, of course, that's the observation. I'm not going to say, of course, it's not necessarily inherent knowledge. So of course, that's going to be when people are observing religious festivals and practices and rituals, things that amount to nothing, right? For us today, in a very practical sense, it would be when we're trying to manufacture our own blessings, when we're trying to use mere human effort, the conjuring of things, of energy, of vibes, um, all of these things to try to um, cause up a spiritual frenzy of activity that really is not... One in God's will for us, nor what he intended, nor is it getting the results. Like it's not giving, right? (laughs) What we think it's supposed to give. And so we find ourselves going through these cycles that are exhausting and fruitless. And we find that that leads to bondage, which is the very thing that Christ came to set us free from. Paul says very clearly, you're trying to earn favor with God by observing these certain spiritual principles or rituals or festivals. And that's not how you do it. Now, I want to be very clear. This was a result of the Judaizers, the same ones that tried to tell the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised. They were again trying to use another method to put these Gentiles into bondage uh, with this idea that they had to obey the laws of Moses and follow these certain religious festivals and traditions. But there's nothing wrong with tradition and customs. There's nothing wrong with you know these religious things that we do in praise and worship and you know, certain programs and things that we follow traditionally in Christian culture. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. What's wrong with it is when it's put forth that those things have to be done in order for you to initiate and have, although it's always God who initiates, a relationship with God and or to maintain and sustain a relationship with God. When tradition is swapped out for theology, and we try to convince people that what it is that we prefer in our religious denominations, right, in our religious culture and our our religious practices, when we try to make preferences take priority over faith, over uh, a sincere relationship with God, that's when it becomes a stumbling block and a trap. And that's exactly what these Judaizers were doing. So in a study that I'm doing right now (laughs) of the book of Galatians, Um, And it's a study by Beth Moore. I highly, highly recommend. It's called Now That Faith Has Come, A Study of Galatians by Beth Moore and her daughter, uh, Melissa Moore. They talk about a lot of these concepts. And one of the things that they talked about is that the word, the Greek word that was used for kind of false uh, brothers has two different meanings. So the word is called pseudodelphoi. I believe I'm saying that right. Pseudodelphoi. Delphoi, which is translates to false brothers, and it can mean one of two things. It can mean either. Um, I apologize. It can mean one of two things: either that they're not true brothers or believers. Or that they're brothers or believers who are believing falsely. So let me explain. Do you remember when we kind of started this whole series and we were talking about false teaching? That sometimes false teaching comes about as those who are ignorant. And I don't say that in a disrespectful manner. I mean, they just don't know any better, right? Um, And they think that they have a proper interpretation of the word and they don't. And that leads to the proliferation of false teaching. Well, you have those, right? And then you have those who know that what they're preaching and teaching and spouting is false doctrine, but they're presenting it as truth. Right. They have an intention to divide and to deceive. And so when we're talking in this context of these Judaizers um, and and false teaching and false brothers, you have to be aware that there, there are two. Now, the impact that they have is similar. So we're not excusing those who are ignorant. You have a duty Um, If you are a teacher, a preacher of the word to make sure that you're getting proper interpretation before you dare open your mouth to teach something as theology. Um, They have the same impact, but understand that there can be those who are intentionally trying uh, to cause division, who are intentionally trying to um, deceive versus those who don't know any better um, and maybe aren't seeking to know any better because they're comfortable in their traditions and their customs. And so, both of these can lead to bondage. Both of these can lead to people misinterpreting and misapplying the word of God and finding themselves in this cycle. A lot of the false teaching that surrounds the Christian culture is again taking practices, traditions, um, and customs, even preferences, if you will, and trying to lord them up and exalt them um, as being integral to what it is, what is quote unquote required to belong to Christ and to sustain a relationship. So in the same way that these Judaizers are trying to push circumcision, circumcision, and still uh, being subject to the law of Moses or how often now in modern times, you see a lot of Christian culture, uh, that tried to push, uh, religious practices as being integral to your salvation. Um, You can see that misapplied often when it comes to giving and tithing. You can see it misapplied when it comes to um, trying to force service uh, by by a congregation or members into a church. Um, All of things which have a ring of truth, tithing and giving. Yes, the Bible speaks to that. Also, when it talks about um, service to your church, we absolutely should be serving. We all have been given a gift. But when it's put forth that... um, it's it's almost like the choice is taken away and it's being demanded and commanded of you by man versus something that God is leading you to and and growing you in, it becomes imprisonment, it becomes bondage. And now we're no longer talking about freedom and faith, which is the whole theme of what Christ came to give us. And so we have to have a discussion about why that is. Why is it in Christian culture do we feel so prone to promoting rules and regulations, lists of do's and don'ts, rather than promoting relationship. What is it that we're afraid of, right? So when we think about the law, because remember in in Galatians 5.1, Paul says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. What is he talking about? Again, Don't get caught up in all of these rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, because that's not what having a relationship with Christ through faith is about. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You, there's, there's no good that you could do. There's no such thing as being good enough. And that's an important truth to come to because it's freeing. It can feel discomforting at times because you think, well, I've done some bad, but I feel like I've done more good. That makes us feel good. Let me free you from that, friend. Let me free you from that. I don't want you to feel that somehow you're unworthy. This is the antithesis of that. I want you to understand that you are so worthy, that you have so much value, that Christ said, I recognize that there is a threshold that you're never going to be able to meet. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay that price for you. There's an entry fee, so to speak, into reconciliation with your father that he wants you to have, that he has commissioned me, his one and only son, to come and die for you, to shed my blood for you so that you can be eternally covered. You're good. Your hand is stamped. The price has been paid. Your name is written in the book of life. So release yourself from that yoke of thinking that there's something that you can earn because it's already been provided for you. It's yours already. What I believe Christian culture can do, if we're not careful, is somehow imply and promote this idea that even if we accept that salvation is by grace, the sustaining of your life and maintaining of that relationship requires that you do, right? Which could not be further from the truth. What Christ has come to do apart from saving us, apart from giving us a place with him and the father in eternity, is to give us access to a power that allows us to live whole, healthy, healed, and abundantly right here on earth. And if his intention were something else, and as soon as you accepted him, then you would go to heaven. The fact that you're still here means there's work to do. And if you cannot save yourself, friend, then you certainly cannot maintain yourself here on earth apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a gift that you receive once you come to accept Christ. And so we have to to ask ourselves, what is it? What is it that we're so afraid of when we start talking about freedom? And I think. Oh gosh, where do I want to go with this? I I have a very clear thought on that. And so we'll touch on that in a second. But I want to talk a little bit about this idea of the law. Because many people get it confused and think that when Paul's saying like, we're no longer in bondage to the law, that the law was somehow bad or evil, that Christ came to do away with the law. And Christ says himself that he did not come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. He is the fulfillment of it. And so when you think about the law, I want you to think about it this way. The law was given as a shelter, as a boundary, almost kind of imprisoning you. Um, and I hate to use that term because that has negative connotations, but placing you in a safe space, right? Just giving you a healthy boundary. And it was it was there until faith could come. So it's almost like when you have children and you're trying to give them instructions and teach them to do something that you know they can't quite comprehend. So you break it down to very basic terms. You have to give them some very straightforward do's and don'ts because they can't understand the principles. They can't understand the context behind it all, right? For example, if there's a hot stove, you can't necessarily communicate to a two-year-old all the negative connotations, all the consequences, all of the pain that would come if they place their hand on that hot stove, but you can point to it and tell them no, right? and then correct them in the event that they go to reach for that hot stove. It's a very simplistic illustration, but that's how the law acted. It was a loud and resounding, no, you can't do that. Yes, you can do this. Because God had to try to get his people to understand that there is a holiness and a a righteousness that they're called to, and to almost get them to the point for them to see you can't reach it on your own. You can't reach that that level of righteousness or holiness on your own. That's something that only I can give to you, right? And so it makes them very aware of their limitations, very aware of this boundary that's been placed upon them. It was like a babysitter until the parent came home. Do you understand? Where it has some authority. But it's not the ultimate authority. Christ is the ultimate authority. He is the one that came to save. And so it's like before we needed these rules. And now through faith, we have relationship. And we can tend to prefer rules because rules require less vulnerability. Rules can make me puff myself up in pride and say, oh, I'm checking everything off the list. I do this, I don't do that. I'm good, they're bad. Rules and regulations, this whole leaning into the law rather than falling into faith, opens up the door for judgment in ways you cannot believe. Judgment, self-righteousness, condemnation, all the things that ought to have no place on a Christian, or in a Christian, right? It leads us to this trap of comparison and making unfair and unsubstantiated comparisons between us and others, right? That's, That's called judgment, the kind that we're called not to have. So legalism is a trap because legalism, this abiding by all of these rules and laws, thinking that that can be a replacement for faith in Christ really leaves you in this place of feeling that you're never gonna be good enough. Because we've all been there. It doesn't matter how right you got it Monday through Thursday. If you mess up on Friday, you don't you don't care about what happened Monday through Thursday. You feel feelings of com- condemnation, shame, guilt, exasperation, exhaustion, anger at times. Because, friend, you're never going to get it right trying to follow a list of do's and don'ts. It's all about relationship. It's all about faith. Now, the other extreme, and this is a point I was getting to earlier, the reason why we can resist this idea of faith over rules and freedom over the law is because we think that then that is going to um, open the door to people doing whatever it is they want. Paul addresses this in another one of his letters uh, when he is countering this argument, like where some new believers were saying, oh, well, if I am a Christian and Christ died to um, forgive my sins, then it makes more sense to keep sinning because that makes the abundance of the blood even more powerful which is, is really just an ignorant, selfish argument to continue to live the life that we want to live without any regard to the commitment that we've made to Christ. Um, and it really is almost spitting on the sacrifice that he made. And so we have to find this happy um, medium, right? This This place that says, We need to define freedom. We need to define freedom for ourselves and stop taking on this world's definition of what being free means, right? We have to, or we can tend to resist freedom because we make it synonymous with this world's portrayal um, of it. We think then freedom means I get to do whatever it is that I want. God knows my heart. In fact, yes, yes, he does. Uh, There is a Greek word, and I I read and studied about it this weekend. I don't have it in front of me. Um, No, it's cardiognostices. Cardiognostices, And it quite literally is a translation for God that means the heart knower. So yes, he absolutely does know your heart. Him knowing your heart is not an excuse for you to be in willful, sinful rebellion against the things that he has called us to do real freedom in Christ says, doesn't say I can do whatever I want without regard for the consequences. Freedom in Christ says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And I have the wisdom, that scripture, by the way, (laughs) everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And this part is, is a a paraphrase, (laughs) an add on is, and I have the discernment and wisdom by the Holy Spirit to know the difference. To know when, yes, I have the freedom to do that and I'm prepared for the results and or consequences, positive or negative, from those actions. And also I can recognize when I could do that, uh, but that would not be beneficial for me in this moment. And so I choose not to. Freedom is the ability to have that choice. Bondage to sin, bondage to the law removes choice. It says you have to, you must. Freedom in Christ says I can choose to. But I also can choose not to. And because I belong to Christ, I've been empowered and encouraged to make the right choice. Freedom is the ability to make another choice a different choice, to not be enslaved by sin, to not be in bondage to trauma, to not be subject to dysfunction and rebellion in cycles of toxic behavior. That is what Christ died for us to have. Salvation, yes. Eternity in heaven, yes. But also the power and the ability to make a different choice. And we can choose not to be in bondage to sin. Now, when it comes again to, you know, Christian culture and sometimes the way that it's perceived, it made me think about Acts chapter 15, where remember Paul and Barnabas went uh, to Jerusalem to talk to the first council about, you know, what are we going to do about these people who are spreading this idea of circumcision? Is this something we're all in agreement they need to do? Or are are y'all understanding how I'm understanding, which is that these Gentiles like us are saved by grace. And Peter, I think in uh, Acts 15 Verse 10 and 11 says, so why are you now? So he's talking to the group that's gathered. uh, And Peter says, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So Paul's, I'm sorry, Peter is basically saying in this moment, speaking up to the council, why are y'all trying to put a standard on other people that we've not upheld? Yeah, let that hit. Because while I love the church, while I love Christian culture, while I love the family dynamic, we can get so high and mighty, individually and collectively, where we as Christians try to put a standard on other people that we don't uphold. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about marriage. We can be against same-sex marriage. We can be uh, judgmental of those who... Um, Have gotten a divorce and yet the divorce rate is just as high within the church adultery is rampant within the church um, and that there are hidden other sexual deviants. that things that occur within the church which is supposed to be a safe place let's talk about it. Does that mean that the standard is wrong? Absolutely not. We need to prioritize marriage, God's definition of marriage. We need to also prioritize sanctity in the holiness of the bedroom, of the marital bed. We need to be against the deviance. But it's really hard. It is really hard for the world to say, yeah, I want to take on uh, what you're saying Christ is about. When they see us being just <laughs> as subject to sin, just as in bondage and even more miserable because we've got this double uh, mindedness going on where we're saying one thing and living another. We have to be accountable. What Peter is saying here is we have to be accountable first. How can we be trying to put a yoke? How can we be trying to tell other people to do? Unbelievers, new believers, what we, the seasoned ones, can acknowledge that we have trouble with. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not, this is not permission or an excuse for you to go be buck wild and say, well, the church isn't doing it. So I'm going to do whatever. Did did you hear what I said before? (laughs) Freedom in Christ is the ability to make a better choice, to choose not to give in to the flesh, the willfulness, the rebellion, to see yourself a different way. When we don't believe that we are who God says that we are, we will doubt that we can have what God says we can have. And so faith really is you honing in and submitting yourself to this idea that God loves you so much that he not only prepared a way for you to spend eternity with him, but that he has given you a means to have access to him that is unprecedented, his Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you, you being covered by the blood, having the ability to make a better choice. You don't have to do things the way your parents did them. You don't have to live like those so-called friends are living. You don't have to subjugate yourself to culture and society's ideas of beauty or success. You don't even have to abide by toxic Christian culture when and where it resides. You get to make a choice and it all happens by and through faith. It's a value issue, friend. It's a worthiness issue. You've been striving and trying to stick to this list Of do's and don'ts, this checklist, because you don't think you are worth the very thing that Christ came to give. You don't think you're worth this plan that God set in place before the beginning of time, but you are. And I know that the different things that you face, your life circumstances would try to tell you different. And that's when you have to speak back to it. You have to dig in ferociously. And come to know the one that came to set you free. Paul talks about this in Philippians because Paul was one of those men that if there was a list of do's and don'ts, if you could earn your way into heaven simply based on following religious principles, it would have been Paul. Why? Because in Philippians, he tells us that not only was he zealous, not only did he have a passion for God, but he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. He was, as he calls himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee, and he zealously persecuted the church. He would have been considered blameless. This is someone who knew the law, who abided by it fiercely, and completely missed the Messiah. He's the perfect example about why it can't just be about religion why it can't be about rules. This is not denouncing the word of God. You can't have faith in God without his word. You gotta know him. This is about the traditions and the extra things that we try to do in replacement of faith. Even Paul himself, had it not been with his encounter on the road to Damascus with Christ, Paul would still be lost. He would have known everything there is to know about God, but would not have known God. But then in Philippians, Paul himself says in 3, 7 through 15, I think I'm just going to do three three seven through 9. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about all those credentials he just listed. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I mean, could there be a better conclusion to this episode? I think not. I think not. Paul just wrapped it all up. All of those things that we once considered valuable, all of those things that we thought made us good enough. All of those things that we ticked off a list that we thought meant we knew God. Paul is saying, "Uh-uh. None of that replaces faith. None of us makes us none of that makes us worthy or good enough or righteous or holy enough in his sight faith." The thing you cannot do for yourself is the only thing that makes you acceptable in his sight. It's the thing that you can't do for yourself and the thing he came to do for you. This is not to strip you of your power and your freedom, friend. This is to give you the key to unlock it. Remember that anything that we accomplish by mere human effort is but a shadow of what is possible by faith. I love you so much. I hope you hear my heart in this message. I'm Shania and this is Rooted.